0: Along the shore, the cloud waves break. The twin suns sink behind the lake. The shadows lengthen in Carcosa. Strange is the night where black stars rise, and strange moons circle through the skies. But stranger still is lost Carcosa. Songs that the Hyades shall sing, where flap the tatters of the king, must die unheard in dim Carcosa. Song of my soul, my voice is dead. Die thou unsung, as tears unshed shall dry and die in lost Carcosa. Hi everyone, Eric here. I am so excited to be introducing this episode, this season, and what feels like the launch of a new era of The Nature of My Game podcast. I started this intro by reading the prologue of The King in Yellow by Robert Chambers. The prologue purports to be a section of the play The King in Yellow called Casilda Song, and I couldn't think of a better way to kick off our brand new campaign. For those who haven't heard, the Nature of My Game podcast will be exclusively playing a new, full-length Yellow King RPG campaign from Pelgrane Press, and written by Robin D. Laws called Casilda Song. Robin and the others at Pelgrane have graciously given us permission to start playing, recording, and releasing episodes of this campaign before the book itself goes on sale to the public, and I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunity. Casilda Song, just like the Yellow King RPG as a whole, takes place across four different and distinct settings, the first of which many of you are already familiar with. 1895 Paris. Our version of Casilda Song will continue the story of Francis Anderson, Donald Braith, and Montgomery Hogg from past seasons For Those About to Rock and The Grand Illusion. And while I love Francis, Donald, and Monty, and the players who play them, I wanted to bring in a few others to join us on this journey. So we've also added four more characters to the Casilda Song cast, two from our Yellow King RPG side quest called Cold as Ice, and two brand new characters who you'll meet for the first time this season. Now, not every character will be part of each season, but our campaign will follow all of their stories as we go along. I'd also like to take a second to welcome any new listeners to the Nature of My Game podcast. Whether you found out about us because of the Song or something else, we're so glad to have you. Feel free to dive in right here at the start of this season, though if you'd like to go back and listen to our prior Yellow King RPG seasons, you definitely should do that as well. We also have six other seasons already available, playing games like Delta Green, Knights Black Agents, Call of Cthulhu, and Monster of the Week. We also have a Patreon, and if you support us at the $5 Hope You Guess My Name tier, you'll gain access to more exclusive audio content from us, including short, 3-4 to four episode stories playing Delta Green and Fiasco, with more to come. For newcomers and longtime listeners alike, supporting us on Patreon goes a really long way toward continuing to make the production of this podcast viable, both for me and for our cast, who all contribute their time and talent to our podcast out of the goodness of their own hearts. If you'd like more information, you can find it at www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast. And now a bit more about this season. The story is based on the first Paris scenario from Casilda's song called Mysteries of the Enomorph, and features four members of our cast. Playing portrait painter Francis Anderson, one of our original Yellow King RPG cast is Emily Townsend. From our Yellow King RPG side quest, Cole Ice," playing sculptor Rose Fallaby is Lindsay Brown. And playing our two brand new characters, siblings Genevieve and Percy Vanderbilt, are Lily Marietto and Chris Smith. As always, I am endlessly grateful to my players for making this podcast what it is. Before I wrap up this extra long intro, I would like to take a moment to thank Jean-Luc Bouchard, who composed our intro music. My wife Kelsey, first for all her love and support, and also for everything she does for our cover art, design, and social media. And Diana Castillo, the artist behind our incredible character art. You can find that art, along with more information and updates about the podcast, at Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for taking the time to listen to all of that, and now, without any more ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the season premiere of Casilda Song Chapter 1, Spill the Wine. Nashville, Tennessee. August 18th, 2018. A young man with sandy blonde hair was sending a text as he walked through the doors of Vanderbilt Hall. He was only somewhat paying attention to where he was going, ambling forward with the rest of his freshman orientation group. His mother was standing beside him and tapped him on the shoulder, giving him a put your phone down and pay attention look as they entered. The young man slipped his phone into his pocket and refocused on what the tour guide was saying. This is our art building, Vanderbilt Hall, which most people believe was named after the university, or the university's namesake, Cornelius Vanderbilt. In fact, this building was named after two somewhat distant cousins of Cornelius, siblings Percy and Genevieve Vanderbilt, both artists themselves. The tour guide gestured toward two portraits hanging on the walls, each depicting one of the two Vanderbilt siblings in austere poses, though the young man couldn't help but notice a hint of a smirk on the male Vanderbilt's face. The young man wasn't particularly interested in the fine arts. He was more of a writer himself. But something about the portraits intrigued him. It felt like the two siblings were looking at something, off in the distance. Their eyes were so focused, so intent. He made his way around the rest of the group as they began to move through the building so that he could get a better look at the portraits as they went by. The portraits were even more intriguing up close, and the young man found himself unsettled looking at them, though he wasn't sure why. He noticed the name of the artist on a small plaque below the portraits before pulling his eyes away and following the group. Francis Anderson. He made a mental note to look up more of her work when he had some time. Once again, the tour guide's voice broke the young man from his thoughts. The building was designed by a young architect named Donald Braith. This is the only building on campus designed by Mr. Braith, and you can see here some of the unique features he included. The young man zoned out again. He had even less interest in architecture than he did in fine art. He pulled out his phone again and saw that he had a text from his best friend, who was attending his own orientation on the other side of the country. He opened the text and saw that his friend had sent him a video. Underneath, he'd written, check this out, this lady is insane, lol. The young man laughed to himself and made sure the volume was off on his phone before he clicked the link. It was a woman, maybe in her late 20s or early 30s, holding up the phone and recording herself talking. She was in a big city, it looked like, maybe New York or Chicago. A graphic was flashing across her face that said, freaking weird moment. He'd have to watch this later when he could put in headphones. He put his phone back into his pocket and looked over at his mom, who was giving him another stern look. Okay, he needed to stay focused. He reached into his backpack and pulled out a notebook. At least he could pretend to take notes on the tour. That would appease his mom. He started to flip to an open page, but caught a glimpse of what he'd been scribbling down the night before, in the middle of the night. He'd been woken up by a strange dream, and in an effort to try to remember it, he grabbed for his notebook and wrote down whatever he could remember. As he read it now, it made no sense. Strange is the night where black stars rise, and strange moons circle through the skies. Yikes. Maybe the woman from the video wasn't the only one going insane. He flipped to a blank page and turned his attention toward the tour guide again, who had led them into an open, circular room at the center of the art building. Looking up, the young man saw that the room opened up through the floors of the building so that he could see the dome that stood on top. It was mesmerizing, and he could swear that he saw a few black stars depicted up above. Strange is the night where black stars rise. The young man shook his head and looked back at a statue standing in the middle of the room, depicting a beautiful young woman with flowing curly hair. She was smiling, though as he looked more closely, the young man could swear that he saw sadness behind the woman's eyes. He was transfixed and barely heard the tour guide saying, sculpted by a young American artist named Rose Fallaby during her time spent studying in Paris. This work is called The Muse, and it is said that she inspires all of our art students here to achieve their full potential. The young man couldn't pull himself away from the sculpture and continued to stare into the woman's eyes as the group began to move away. And just as he heard his mom whisper, Monty, to get his attention, he could swear that he saw a single tear drop from the woman's eye, a red tear, a tear of blood. the middle of September, 1895, when our story starts. And as Ms. Frances Anderson is finishing her week of classes, she starts to feel an overwhelming urge to take advantage of the last remaining bits of summer left in Paris before the cool fall weather takes over. Anything to take her mind off the horrible experience at the Palais Garnier just two weeks before. The Ile de la Jatte, famously depicted in Seurat's painting A Sunday Afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte, seems the perfect place to spend the day outdoors. But for some reason, her invitations do not go to her closest friends, Montgomery Hogg and Donald Braith. Perhaps she's trying to avoid thinking about the experience the three of them had recently. Perhaps they are out of the city for some reason, or perhaps she simply doesn't believe either of them has any interest in sitting out in the sun for hours. But she turns instead to three other art students to accompany her. Her first invitation goes to Genevieve Cornelia Vanderbilt, a fellow painting student at the École des Arts. Lily, tell us a little bit about Genevieve, what she looks like and where Francis might find her to offer her the invitation.
1: Sure. Genevieve um, is a very well put together. Uh, She has brown hair and blue eyes. Her brown hair is always up when curls in a very um, hard-to-put-together updo that requires the help of her maid, who she has brought with her to Paris because... (laughs) She couldn't possibly imagine uh, living life without her. Um, sh- so <laughs> she definitely would not be able to do her hair on her own. Um, she almost always wearing a very elaborate gown. And she is, she believes that she is attractive. And that's really <laughs> all you Emily's need to know. Just amazing, <laughs> um, And she carries herself in a way that, most people assume she's attractive, even if maybe her face is not the most attractive face. You wouldn't know, because you wouldn't really see past all of the other stuff that's going on. She's very rich. Her family has a lot of money, um, and she is not afraid to let that be known.
0: You may, you may have heard of them.
1: <laughs>
0: yes, I, I, I don't
1: know if you've heard of the Vanderbilts, but she may mention that to you once in a while. And uh, she's she's very active in in society, so you may maybe find her. Francis may find her at a maybe a dinner or an event or otherwise. Um, I don't think that Francis would find Genevieve in her apartment <laughs> because okay. I don't know that <laughs> Genevieve would uh, entertain that at the moment. <laughs> okay. All right, so I like it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> maybe at class. You might find you will you you probably would would meet her at class fairly often because we probably have some of the same classes so maybe that's where.
0: Sure. Yeah, you are both painters, so perhaps um mm. perhaps Francis you uh, stop Genevieve after after class one day.
2: Sure. Uh, yeah, I will say that Frances is a woman with a mission. She she knows that she wants to invite Genevieve this day. Um, and I think as was previously established for Francis, she doesn't tend to dress very nicely because she knows she's going to be working and painting and getting oils and turpentines everywhere. Um, but I think on this day, she probably like tried to look a little fancier, (laughs) tried to be a little bit more, um, like someone that Genevieve might want to hang out with. Let's be real.
1: Um, Good move. (laughs)
2: Yeah, because I I think I think in her mind the the women at the at the school need to stick together.
1: Um, I think this might be many. the first day that Genevieve notices Francis.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh God! God. <laughs> <laughs> Francis is not taking that personally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Francis shakes it off. She's, Amazing.
2: <laughs> <she's>, <laughs> yeah, so I think she's gonna try and um, she's only gonna do a little bit of light stalking. I don't know if we have the same class together. Um, but like, she's going to know when you get out of class and kind of be conveniently in, in the hallway outside. And so I think as, as you would come out, she would try to catch your eye and, uh, Miss, Miss Vanderbilt?
1: Uh, yes. Hello. Have, have, have we met before?
2: You know, I'm honestly not sure. Uh, my name is Francis, Francis Anderson. Um, a pleasure to formally make your acquaintance.
1: Yes, you as well have have you do you have classes here?
2: I, I do. Um, I'm I'm more in the we do a lot more of the life drawings I'm, I'm more of a portraitist. Um, I think I think I've heard you that's not your particular specialty, correct?
1: No I, I'm a landscape pa- painter.
2: Oh you, that's perfect. Miss <laughs> Vanderbilt I it is September summer is going and you know what that means the light is going. I would very much love if the few of us, you know, hearty Americans here at the school could potentially have some sort of an outing, um, take advantage of some of that good light before it's all gone. Would that potentially be something that you're
1: interested in? Um, Possibly. What type of outing were you thinking? Well, um,
2: I was thinking a park and a picnic. Um, My aunt's personal chef is known for his extraordinary picnic spread um i could guarantee exquisite food wonderful wines and i i sincerely hope good company which would absolutely be helped along if you were there
1: well that 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 does sound lovely francis uh anderson is did you say yes. francis anderson i don't i don't know if i've heard that name before but um yes that that does sound lovely i would i would consider your invitation
2: that's all I ask. <laughs> Very kind. Please Amazing. let me know
1: when you have some more information.
2: Of course, I'll, I'll, I'll send a note. That Amazing. would be
0: great. Amazing. Um, great. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Woo, so, that's, okay. so that's one. That's one down. That's pretty good, Francis. That's that's pretty mm-hmm, good.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I got. A, she's a get. She's a get. So I got. <laughs>
0: We're aiming high. <laughs> yeah, Look at a, Genevieve
2: a- being like, "Is
0: it the Rhode Island Andersons?" So, <laughs> that- <laughs>
1: yeah. so good.
0: So, Francis, you also uh, you also plan to invite um, Genevieve's younger brother. Uh, all the Vanderbilts, of course, go by three names. So, Percy Eustace Vanderbilt. I think you have a little bit of uh, a little bit of a relationship um, mm. with Percy more so than you do. With Genevieve, um, I think you know that people find him kind of arrogant and pompous. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, if I know Francis, and you know, other than other than perhaps you, I feel like I know Francis (laughs) best. Um, Absolutely, Francis is kind to everyone, Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think I think um, you have felt Percy somewhat drawn to you and your interactions because you've shown him kindness and you see lots of other people not showing him kindness, um, even though he is a bit arrogant and pompous. <laughs> so Chris, tell us what Percy looks like, um, and where Francis might find him.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I think Percy is, you know, he's kind of like generically good looking, like the sort of patrician American that he is. Mm. Um, he's tall. He has dark hair, um, dark eyes. Um, He dresses in clothing, you know, kind of unlike Genevieve. He's a little bit of a rebel. So he dresses in clothing that's sort of, it's clearly fashionable, but not really as aristocratic. Mm. But there's also a sort of intentional and also like very expensive, put together looking ruggedness about him. Um, So he's not hiding his wealth. (laughs) It's just showing up in a different way. And I think at this point you would find him at... You know, he sort of progresses through the day from like cafe to cafe to progressively seedier establishments as it gets <laughs> later and later. Um, but I think at this point he's, you know, maybe sitting in in the e- early evening in a cafe, sitting outside, doing a little bit of writing, reading a book here and there, just kind of watching things go by.
0: Perhaps Francis at at Le Vougra, your your ah, particular cafe of choice, a favorite. Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, so I think I kind of picture this as though you are head buried in your work, perhaps, and Frances is just going to see you, and she's going to scoot on over um, and plop herself down at your table, uh, not waiting for an invitation. Um, And she'll say, Percy Vanderbilt, what a pleasure to meet you again.
3: Yeah, I think this would slightly surprise Percy because he's not used to yeah. people being friendly to him <laughs> in any way, especially yeah. people he knows already. Mm-hmm. But I think he would say, ah, Francis, hello. Good to see you.
2: It's a delight to see you again. How are you?
3: I am well. I'm always well, which you can kind of tell on his face. He's definitely not always well. <laughs>
0: he's 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 rarely well. <laughs> yeah,
3: very oh. rarely.
2: <laughs> oh, goodness. So I, I think Francis probably clocks that too. Yeah. Um, And she'll say, well, I have a proposition for you. I have got it in my mind that what we need is a gathering of some of us American expatriates here in Paris, take advantage of the light of the outdoors. And I know poets spend a lot of time in very drafty garrets or, you know, fancy French cafes or luxurious homes. And regardless, they should get out in the good outdoors. Um, I'm very much hoping that you would want to come along.
3: Yeah, I think Percy here. Anytime anyone mentions like the outdoors, the beauty of nature, it's a he sees this as an opportunity to kind of hold forth and pontificate, and so he says, you know, oh, the you know the marigold sun, you know the the beautiful, soft, delicious opium of an evening breeze, uh, the the bewitching scent of freshly cut grass, and he you know he just kind of trails on for a couple minutes, at throwing these kind of things out there. But of course, you know he's he's gonna enthusiastically accept. You know, of course, oh, uh, I uh, I have a very busy diary today, but I would love to join you. He does oh, he does wonderful. not have a busy diary, by the way. He is nothing.
2: <laughs> I think there's a part of Francis's mind that clocked the reference to opium and like has that <laughs> moment of like, oh no, do I have to worry? Um, Maybe. That is going to say, mm, well.
0: She's you are friends with Monty though. so... I
2: know, I know. She knows how to do it. <laughs>
0: yes.
2: um, she knows the signs. Um, okay, that would be absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, I invited your sister as well. I would love for her to be able to join us. Um, so any any influence you have there to make sure she comes along too would be wonderful.
3: Ah, yes. Lovely, lovely. I think... Um... Let's just remind her that this is a, a rich and classy evening, and I think she would enjoy it very much.
2: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I will very much look forward to it then.
0: Awesome. All right, and so uh, so the last person, Francis, that you have uh, decided to reach out to, maybe maybe the hardest sell of them all, Rose Fallaby. Um, Lindsay, for those who haven't listened to our our patreon special uh cold as ice tell us a little bit about rose where francis finds her
4: um so where francis would find rose um in this particular day is probably much changed um than she may remember her in the months past um I, you know, I, the way I've seen it is that, you know, Francis and Rose, they know of each other. And mm-hmm. they're maybe not particularly close, but they definitely have interacted. And Francis would have found Rose to be someone who is very... Um, she, she's a young woman. Um, as of now, she just turned uh, 22. Uh, she has long brown hair that she often keeps, um, you know, in a braid or in a bun. There's always a slight messiness to it, um, which really only, I think, adds to, in a way, an air of seriousness that she takes with her art. Um, you know, she's obviously an American art student like um, the rest of them, but Rose comes from slightly different background. She's, you know, she's coming from a poor background, um... Uh, and from she's coming from Philadelphia and America um, and she has a very particular drive and passion towards sculpture and she's just very focused and that often comes off as cult um, to those she's not particularly close with um, and so that would have been their past reactions um, interactions really but I think and, and you know, she was often someone who was found, you know, up at, up with the sun. She is attending all of her classes. She's staying late in the studio. Um, but Rose lately has been less available, um, less able to be found. Um, if she's not in class, she's in her apartments um, where the students stay. Um, and I think that if Frances weren't able to capture Rose in class, she would know she'd have to go to her apartments to try and find her.
2: Yeah, I think, um, again, kind of kind of with Genevieve, I think she's she's got an eye because I think Frances keeps an eye on the the other women in the school um, because there's just not that many. And I think even with Rose's air of of I'm here to work, I'm here to do this. I think she would notice the shift. And let's be real. There's probably been a fair amount of gossip about the fact that one of these sculptors does not have all of her fingers. Suddenly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I think for a while that's probably been like niggling in the back of Francis's mind that like this person might need might need I don't want to say help I don't want to say more friends but like I think partly Francis wants to know what she needs um, and she wants to be able to reach out to Rose Um, and so yeah
0: do you think you do you think you have any suspicion? That whatever seems to have happened to Rose has anything to do with the th- things that you've experienced, either at either at either at Notre Dame or at the Palais Garnier.
2: I think because of the timing of it all, um, I think that she just she found out after the fact that Rose's accident happened around the same time that the Notre mm-hmm. Dame stuff was happening. And I think she has no reason to suspect. Except for the fact that Rose clearly has a very good head on her shoulders. Mm. She wouldn't have just been foolish. And yeah. she doesn't, Frances doesn't know why she would, a sculptor would let that kind of injury happen to her hands. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a concern, but I think it's only maybe potentially in the last handful of weeks that she's thinking, oh dear. Maybe yep. there really honestly is more happening here. Yeah, so I am betting that Francis is going to have to go to your your apartment, Rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think she'll just knock on your door and and see how that goes. Um,
4: I think that that first knock is met with silence. Hmm. Francis is
2: undeterred. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think she's going to knock again, uh,
4: Miss Miss Fallaby, Rose. I think you'll hear some shuffling behind the door, but but still silence.
2: Rose it's it's Francis Anderson um, from from the art school I I suddenly I feel very silly standing in a hall saying this but I'm planning a picnic and I I very much would like you to be
4: there I think there's a there's another moment of, of silence but you can tell from beyond the door that it's sort of a thoughtful silence and then there are some footsteps um, and the door cracks open just a peek Um <clears throat> Only probably about the half of Rose's face sort of peeks out. um, And you can see that she is opening her door and holding it open with her left hand, Mm. um, which is intact. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And, you know, uh, Rose will glance out and go, Francis, you're, you're not who I was expecting. What are you? Why are you here? And there's sort of a there's sort of a faraway look in her mind. It seems it, 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 it looks like Rose is like really trying to focus on what is happening right now.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah. I think so. Francis, and I will note Francis is not war- wearing what she wore the day she met Genevieve. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I think she is, is she knew where this address was and she knew that these were not the expensive, expensive places that like she stays in. Um. So I think she's in her work clothes and I think she's, just gonna smile at Rose and say Rose it's it's Francis Anderson um I we haven't talked very often I know we met uh, shortly after you arrived in Paris I'm I'm planning an outing I'm planning a chance to to get out of you know the the buildings and the the smoke and the fog and and all of that and try to get a little fresh air and and sunshine and and you know get some of get some of the Americans together and uh, I don't know have have a nice day and I I just don't, I just don't see you very often, and I, I wanted you to be there.
4: Um, and I think to this, Rose is like, you, there's a clarity coming back into her face, and you can see, like, she's looking right at Francis as she speaks, and there's something about Francis's jovialness that is not fully registering with Rose, and she kind of gives her a look as, like, what is this absurdity that you're talking about? And. Uh, <laughs> You know, she she stands up a little straighter, and you can see she she moves um, her good hand, her left hand through her hair. She's kind of smoothing it down and it's 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 clear that she's in a little bit of a disarray. She has her apron on, um, you know, just her long, plain, you know, gray dresses. Um, but she seems to be moving away from being as distracted again and and she says a gathering. I I, I Francis, I, I don't know. I when is this tomorrow? This, today? When is this happening? Question,
2: um, I I say Francis will say when it's happening because I'm not yeah, entirely sure when this chronology yeah. is.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that this is like Friday and it's happening on Sunday.
2: Amazing, <laughs> and um, on Sunday I, I have it on very good authority that the weather that day is going to be beautiful. I've checked with my aunt's rheumatism, and that's that's what her bones are telling her. <laughs> and I will say. <laughs> I know the universal language of students. We're going to have spectacular food,
4: and this, like maybe, it piques Rose's interest slightly. But she she hesitates again and says, "I, uh, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it, Francis. I can't, I can't give you an answer, one way or the other, right now." And she moves to close the door.
2: Um, I think Francis is going to. Hmm, I think she's going to reach out a hand. And, and try to see if she can catch your sleeve or something like that before you, you disappear. Rose, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to press. I don't, I don't see you at all. And it worries me that you spend all of your time here and at class. And I know something happened to you. You might not think it to look at me. Something's happened to me, and I know what I need is to get away from where it happened, even just geographically for an afternoon. I can recommend it heartily.
4: Um, and I think the f- the mention that Francis says, "I know something happened to you, and something happened to me," there is a pause there, and. It looks like Rose is about to say something, but then she stops and you can see she's been holding her right arm behind her back and it kind of flinches a little. Mm. And she says, oh, OK. All right. Yes. Yes. I will be there on Sunday. If that's what you want, I will be there on Sunday. And then she just closes the door.
2: And I think Francis will pause and say, oh. I'll pick you up at seven or an appropriate time. <laughs> um, Cause I think she also knows if she doesn't get Rose there, the possibility that Rose is going to get there is going to diminish. Sure. So she will, she will make plans.
0: Amazing. So before we continue, I actually want to, I want to deal with a, a quick rules thing uh, because one of the things in the Yellow King RPG is injury cards and shot cards. Um, this is how you kind of track the pain and suffering that the characters go through. And there's a thing called continuity cards. These are cards that normally the cards would not would not uh, remain from one to another scenario, but continuity cards stick around. And uh, Rose from her first experience has two continuity shock cards. A third card would make her go permanently insane, Ugh. and so that's a it's a it's a tenuous tenuous <laughs> situation. Terrifying. But I also think under uh, kind of explains. What these what this past six or seven months has been like for Rose, right? She is actually she is very nearly on the verge of a full mental break. Um, and she is trying to grapple with the events that happened to her. She's trying to grapple with the fact that she has this somewhat unique experience for someone of her station to be at this art school. and she's very talented and she lost two fingers on the hand that allows her to be that talented. And she's, so she's trying to grapple with all of those things. And so one of the two shot cards, and Lindsay and I talked about this beforehand, allows her to discard it using either a steal push for herself. Um, everyone gets two pushes per scenario. So, And, and uh, Rose does have the steal ability. So she can steal herself to go out into the world and go uh, spend time with these fellow art students. Or by receiving an inspiration push, which Francis has. So uh, the two of you and all of us can discuss... Um, I highly encourage you to, to for one of you to use a push, but, uh, because otherwise it may be a, a short scenario <laughs> for Rose. Um, but, but, um, but we can we can all discuss which of you wants to use a push in this situation. Mm-hmm. Lindsay,
2: I feel like from what you're describing, I don't think Rose is in shape enough to steal herself. I, I feel like she needs the push to come from outwards from Francis.
4: Yeah, honestly, I agree with that because I feel like if I think, you know, with what Rose experienced back in February was such a like, as Eric said, like such a rattle to who she is and like how she sees herself that like if she was going to pull herself up by her bootstrap, she probably would have done it already. And it's really spiraled for her. But I do think that there is something to be said about like that Francis has seen that she is suffering but she's also in her own way said like something has happened to me too like you whatever you might be going through might not be just you and yeah so like i could see that coming from somebody else like giving her that push to sort of like all right i have to grasp with this new reality and maybe not like spiral downward with it
0: and and for the four of you and for everyone listening at home Emily is such a pro that I didn't even mention this fact to her. I just wanted to see whether she would say something inspirational. And of course she did.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wasn't technically planned. I forgot about I know, the card. That's
0: what I'm, that's what I'm saying. It was, I know it wasn't planned. That's why you're a pro. Um, all right. So Emily, go ahead and mark off um, Can do. one of your two pushes uh, for this scenario. So you're already, you're running low. You're that's Okay. <laughs> Um, but Lindsay, um, Rose can take away. Um, I believe it's Song of the Sign. Is that the? Ooh, is that the? the yes, card? it
2: is. Yeah. That's quite a name.
0: <laughs> yes, it was an unfortunate experience for Rose. <laughs> oh
4: um, my god, that whole thing was such an unfortunate
0: experience for her. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Man. All right, so uh, so with the invitations given, we are going to fast forward to, in fact, a Sunday afternoon. At the Ile de la Jatte. Woohoo! And the four of you find yourselves walking through the park. It can be reached by a bridge not too far from your school and the neighborhood that most of you live in, so it's a pretty easy trip, uh, especially by bicycle. So I imagine the four of you and whoever else is with you uh, took some bikes out to the park. For the most part, the park is a place to come on a weekend, enjoy the cool breeze outside of the crowded city, and eat buttered baguette. But for budding artists, particularly painters, so particularly for Genevieve and for Francis, it's a place to take one of the greatest risks that can be taken, to bring out your sketchboards and work in view of all. As you look around for a place for the four of you to lay down a blanket and relax, Francis and Genevieve, you both notice that painting students are not the only ones who have made their way to the park today. Two more famous painters catch your eye. A broad-shouldered, middle-aged man with a close-shaven pate and great bristling beard and a tall, pear-shaped, English-looking fellow about the same age. In fact, as you walk nearby with your paint boxes and sketchboards, the two men smile at you. The man with the impressive beard even says, A beautiful day, no? And you have found the perfect scene to capture, as we have. And so, uh, Francis and Genevieve, with your painting investigative ability, the first man, the one with the beard and the one who spoke to you in a French accent, is leading Impressionist Claude Monet. Um, <laughs> what? Oh um, okay. And Woo. his his willingness to engage with the young artists is somewhat surprising. Um, he's known to have become increasingly solitary recently, but I don't know. Maybe it's the maybe it's the nice day. Maybe, maybe something else uh, nice happened in his life that has caused him to be in a good mood today. Um, We're very
2: and, charming. Please do not discount. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, maybe maybe it's maybe it's just the appearance of Ms. Vanderbilt. Uh, exactly. And her, mm-hmm. and her finery. That. That, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the man that he's painting alongside is Alfred Sisley, um, another impressionist, respected by forward-looking colleagues and collectors, despite his lack of success to date in selling his work in France. <laughs> um, so he's English and has come to... You know, much like you as art students, has come to Paris to try to join the Parisian art scene and has found it mostly not that uh, has has not had a lot of success so far. Do either of you or any of you um, engage with uh, mm. with Monsieur Monet and Sicily? <laughs>
4: Sorry, we make a whole pivot to the game to just talking to Claude Monet. <laughs> we, make, we, we make you be him in Sisle like the entire time.
2: <laughs> I have a million questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I'll tell oh, you up front, man. I don't know a lot about Claude Monet, so <laughs> yeah. don't ask me stupid <laughs> questions. <laughs>
2: I went on a, like a high school trip to like his gardens, at Giverny. I have like a picture of me on the bridge that he painted. This is very Same. cool.
0: Well, so yeah. how can how can you how can you pass up an opportunity to chat with uh, Monet?
2: <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, I guess I don't know. Um, I'll kind of like I'll glance at the others, dude. Like, because I know Genevieve and I, we probably recognize them. It sounds like. Um, is anybody else like a Indian in our group? look like they recognize them and B are they surrounded by like oh my god it's claude monet ah! they're, like
0: they're little no, fans. no yeah there's nobody yeah there're no there are no fans out um that are kind of surrounding them because i think most people would assume that they want to be left alone mm. fair but i think rose i don't think that rose or uh percy recognizes mm-hmm. them necessarily and monet seemed to open the door for a conversation. He, he, you know, said that it's a lovely day, and said that you've picked a fine spot I, for painting. I
3: feel like Percy would recognize them as like men okay. of culture. Maybe not sure, like literally sure, recognizing <laughs> them, but like... So I think he would sort of begin, you know, holding forth again. And, he, you know, he says something like, Oh, a perfect afternoon, gentlemen. You know, something to cast in amber and stow away in the cellar for a hundred years, and he just keeps going on and <laughs> oblivious to whatever their reaction is. <laughs>
0: Amazing. Um, I think. I think specifically, Sisley kind of like smirks, it's just kind of like like allowing you to go on, but like immediately understanding what type of person you are. Yes.
1: <laughs>
2: red, just red for filth.
1: Okay. I think at that point, Genevieve would probably. Recognize that, and not wanting Percy to be insulted, she would point out who these people are so that Percy doesn't make a fool of himself. Sure. And and also because she wants to be the first to note who these people are and introduce herself.
3: Of course. I'm not sure that would prevent him from making a fool of himself. No, (laughs) No,
1: probably. Yeah, but she tries.
0: She
2: tries. Sisterly duty.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think for Rose, honestly, like she's there, right? But she's really only (laughs) there because, like, Francis has asked her to be there. And, you know, it's not like she's like coming to sculpt in the park. She's a little bit of like a shadow of the group, I think. Mm. I also think she might have been slightly thrown by the presence of the Vanderbilts because, like, obviously she knows. Yeah, she was not warned (laughs) at all. And it's not like she doesn't know who they are, but it's very much like the opposite of like do you know what I mean like the Absolutely. Vanderbilt's made their money off of like people like Rose's family yes. so she's not like <laughs> so you know she's not like particularly cold but she is not like creating a space where she's like oh let's all get to know each other she's a little bit of like I would say kind of just like a bit of a spectral like walk you know like she's walking with the group but like slightly behind hmm. and so she's like taking note of these artists but as Eric said like she probably doesn't know who they are very much so she's more like taking in the scene rather than interacting in that moment
2: sure. Yeah. I think Frances is doing the juggling act of like she's got her bicycle and also she's got a big old picnic hamper. Um and so she's she's like trying to <laughs> not fall over and and keep these things intact. But yeah, I think she'll she'll happily kind of say, "Ah, what a pleasure to meet you both."
0: Yes. Uh, are any of you painters? Are you are you here to show off your skills and Monet just kind of like kind of chuckles um, knowing that that's like a ridiculous thing for him to say um, or to, for him for him to ask but um, but doing it anyway. <laughs>
1: um, I'm hesitating because Genevieve is likely to um, want to show off in general but does know that she is not the caliber of painter that Monet is. Normally she would never admit such a thing. So this is this is a <laughs> a very interesting um, person to find. <laughs> sure. She's, she's hesitating whether she should do her her usual <laughs> showing off in front of someone who she knows is actually better than her, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. not common.
2: I think Frances will see you hesitate, and she'll just kind of say, "Oh, well, I mean, I'm here to hone more than show off." So I I know. All the others around me are extremely talented, yourselves obviously included.
0: Well, I I, I too am here to hone. Uh, as this is Cicely speaking, I too am here to hone. I, as you may know, have not found the success in the Parisian art scene of, of my friend here, Claude. So I uh, thought I could brush up a bit and watch him work and see if I could grab a few pointers from him. Uh, you're more than welcome to join us.
2: Oh, what a gracious offer. Frances will look to you all and see if, if you would like to join the famous people.
1: Genevieve is not going to pass up this opportunity to make <laughs> herself more of a part of high society. So fabulous! she will say, that is lovely. That would be that would be wonderful.
2: Is there anything in particular that like we can see that they're working on that I could like point to poor Rose who is <laughs> hanging back a little?
0: So can you can you all picture I, like whatever you have in your head? If e- even if you aren't sure what a Sunday afternoon um, on La Grande Jatte is, like the picture you have in your head is probably the one that we that you're thinking of um, with like I could sing the entire the shore score the, of the Sondheim musical like, right now. Like <laughs> <that I laughs> yeah, yeah, with the parasols <laughs> yeah. on the on yeah <laughs> right. like on the on the bank of, of some water. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're they're painting a scene. Like that, right? Like there are people out, um, you know, Wonderful. just kind of enjoying the day, and they're they're doing that. And so I would say, Francis, if you want to like set up your sketchboard, yeah, in Diesel, bring out the picnic right next to them, um, they would be happy to have you do that. Yeah, let's do it. I don't know if Genevieve wants to do that, also, um, but uh, but they would be happy to have you have you do that.
2: I think she will. No okay. one can turn down a picnic spread from Alphonse. He's just the best.
0: <laughs> <laughs> certainly, certainly. <laughs> Um, so you all, you kind of set up the picnic, you set up your sketchboards, and, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're chatting with them, you know, you're kind of chatting with each other, you're, you're taking in the, the sunny afternoon, and Francis, you're kind of sneaking looks over at Monet and, and Cicely. Um of course you are, right? Like you're 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 you're, you're just kind of like <laughs> you can't you can't help but know note- like you can't help but try to watch these two like famous painters work. Um peep that technique. Exactly, exactly. And though they're trying to focus on their work, they're giving off kind of an air of distracted agitation. They're kind of they look a little pale, like a little a little paler than they should look in the sun. They've got kind of Sweat rising on the backs of their necks, but like not, you know, not in like a it's hot outside kind of way, but like that they like had a fright. And I think it reminds you of the feeling you had the moment that you looked at your first portrait that had a mask on it.
1: Hmm. It was
0: like something that was so strange and shocking, but not like not like immediate danger, but just so unsettling that like it kind of overtook your senses and you were like jittery
2: that's an alarming thing to describe um <laughs> and so but they're carrying on a conversation they're they're yeah, talking yeah, yeah
0: can i can i see their
2: sketchbooks like
0: sure yes they're just painting the the, the scene that you see in front of you as well
2: huh. can i look around subtly and see if i see any weird people in masks
0: Sure, you can. Yes, um, <laughs> you don't see anyone in in a mask,
2: huh? And I think, think as you're as
0: you're looking. Well, I was going to say, I think as the rest of you are looking around, Percy, I think you you're the youngest of the group. Um, you're also the youngest in your family. And as you and I talked about, you the way that you kind of experienced the kind of lack of attention from your parents was that you did a lot of sitting and observing. You you've been a people watcher since you were very young. Mm-hmm. And you two are watching these two. And it's very clear to you that they something has scared them and but they're trying to like chat and paint through it mm. to kind of convince themselves that it that whatever it was isn't real it didn't happen.
3: Interesting. Is is there like a discreet way to ask Claude Monet what has frightened him recently? <laughs> Yeah, I mean you can. You, 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 you can. I mean, you're you're
0: Vanderbilt after all. Just ask the man.
3: Yeah, that's a great great point. Uh, yeah, I guess Percy. You know, he's already blathered at them for a long time, so I guess he just turns to them and says, "You know, hello, gentlemen. Uh, what something seems to be troubling you? What is it?"
0: Uh, Monet says it, it's nothing, and Cicely says. Yes, yeah, so almost certainly nothing. Uh, it's nothing to concern you.
3: Mm, I think Percy would push here because again, he's not not like the most uh, <laughs> subtle in these kinds of dealings. So I think he says, you know, I I notice you say almost nothing. So what was it?
0: <laughs> and Cicely, he he like kind of closes his eyes as if he's trying to decide. Not even like whether he should share it or not but whether, whether there's anything to share and all of a sudden you hear a shriek echoing across the park. It sounds like someone who is not afraid but like appalled at what they're seeing. It sounds like a woman and seems to be coming from the bank of the island kind of in the direction that both Monet and Cicely and the two of you are painting so like kind of in the scene that they're looking at. Oh god.
1: Do any of us notice something that might cause someone to shriek?
3: Do you look around for it? Definitely.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like the moment there's a shriek,
4: I'm assuming that they're all painting and sketching and Rose is sort of just sitting on the mm. picnic blanket, just like staring off into space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, like, yes, yeah, nibbling at whatever is left because she's never going to pass up like a free meal. But you Just didn't, sort you of didn't like...
0: bring like a little, like a little ball of marble and a little tiny hammer. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Can you imagine?
4: <laughs>
2: yeah,
4: she's a little bit like you know how how effed up is this that Francis brought me to no, a no, creative no. lunch like when she knows
2: that I, <laughs> you know, like,
4: <laughs> you know, with the Vanderbilt. Um, like, literally, like what is going on right now? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, these rich people, but no. So she. Um, I think like you know she's sort of been like sitting on the picnic blanket like you know like looking at what they're working on but staring off to space. But I think the moment if they all hear this shriek, yeah, like, yeah, 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 I think she is like instantly like up off her feet and like mm. moving towards like the bank, like the like the water embankment, like for whatever scene out there like looking towards. Like she's taken a few steps forward because Rose like after all this time simply cannot help herself like she mm. she uh, anything it's like she needs to know. So I think she would be getting up and looking.
0: Sure. So, Rose, you kind of start moving in that direction, and as you get closer to the bank, you see a young woman dressed in kind of bourgeois finery. She's standing paralyzed in terror at the bank of the at the at the island's bank, gesturing for uh, two toddlers, um, both head headed blonde, probably her children. For them to stand to, to kind of move away from the bank as the children, the children look terrified as well, but are standing precariously close to the bank and they seem very distracted by whatever it is that they're looking at in the water that you can't see what they're looking at in the water.
2: I think knowing that you stood up and you, you've got a better view, like Francis will certainly ask for you to, to relay what it is you're seeing.
0: Um,
2: and I think she'll she'll kind of jump up and, and join you and try to see if she can get a better look.
4: Is there anyone else crowding around, or as they just like these are, you know, Francis and Rose are the only two people who have like moved forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, people are, de- people are, people have definitely noticed, but it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. anyone's springing into action to do anything. Though you see a few other people who like seem to have a better view of whatever it is that the woman and the children are looking at, who kind of have like appalled or like kind of grossed out looks on their face. They're like recoiling and like in disgust at whatever they're seeing in the water.
2: Mm hmm. Can I look back at Monet and Cicely and and just ask, g- gentlemen, is what you almost certainly didn't see something down there?
0: <laughs> no, I, I, no, I'm, I'm sure not. No, no.
1: Huh? Does Genevieve notice that like that's where the something is going on? Like, does she yeah. see? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ge- yeah. Genevieve is just going to start walking towards the bank.
0: Okay. Cool. Uh, what are the others of you doing?
3: I think Percy would do the same. He's he's really curious, yeah. so I think he's going to go investigate.
2: Mm-hmm. I'll I'll follow along as well. Yeah, okay. same.
0: So you get a little bit closer. The mother seems in panic. I think mostly about the fact that her children, her her toddlers, are very close to the bank of the water. Um, but she also doesn't seem to. She wants. She doesn't seem to want to kind of startle them. Um, so she's not like running over to grab them because she's afraid that they like. You know she they might like tip over into the water. But you look down into the water, and you see a man's arm severed just above the elbow bobbing in the water, and the waves are kind of repeatedly nudging it against the shore. And right in this moment, each of you see something else. Each of you has kind of this momentary vision that happens just in the blink of an eye. You see the arm, you blink, You see it differently, you blink again, and then the scene returns to normal. Percy, for you, as you blink at the scene, you see just for a moment that the hand of the arm is holding a pen, and it looks just like the type of pen that you normally use. And your mind flashes for just a moment to a line from the poem that you've been working on, but it's a line that you're not sure if you wrote it or not. The line is, the limb floated down river like the ship of Achilles onward to fated, violent death. Oh, wow.
2: (laughs) Percy, Percy, we need to talk about your poetry. I (laughs) know.
3: I mean,
4: like, hey, let's call a spade a spade. That's a dope line. Do you know what I mean? Even if if this is demonic (laughs) stuff that's happening right now, that's pretty
3: sweet. Yeah, I I think (laughs) Percy is, you know, (laughs) there's a small part of him that thinks back and is like, I, I would be proud of that if... But he's not sure (laughs) if he actually did write it, so...
0: Yeah, right. Genevieve, you blink and see something that you've seen before, but of course fills you with unease each time it happens. For just a moment, the scene in front of you turns red, as if someone was painting the scene using only shades of red. But for the first time, you think you know where the red is coming from. You think that it's blood, as if someone was painting the scene with blood, and then it's gone.
1: Hmm. Not happy about that.
0: <laughs> no, you don't, you're not. You're not ready to, to dive into the water and get the arm.
1: <laughs> no,
0: okay. it's pretty
2: metal. It is pretty metal. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, Rose, something similar happens for you. You blink, and the man's arm is gone, and it's been replaced with the arm of a statue, marble white, with droplets of blood discoloring the water around it.
4: Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> no. Nope.
0: And, Francis, for you, you see something you thought and hoped you'd never see again. The arm, for just that moment, looks as though it's gone scaly from patches of black (gasps) rock. Just like the body of the young boy turned monster Noah. And then, in another moment, the vision is gone.
2: Jeez, crazy. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think, honestly, Francis probably, like, stumbles and has to, like catch herself, and probably honestly grabs onto whoever's next to her. Do you guys think you all look a little shaken up? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, And in fact, I need all of you to roll me a composure check, please. Um, please. So this is our first roll of the game, so don't roll it yet. Just a, a, a refresh on how the game works. So... In, the, in the, the Yellow King RPG system that we're using, um, there are two sets of abilities. There are investigative abilities and there are general abilities. Investigative abilities are like painting, um, like Francis and uh, Genevieve used before to know who Claude Monet and Alfred Sisley are. Those, if you use them, they work automatically. Um, sometimes you can use pushes to get a little bit extra, like um, Francis used to help Rose out. But for general abilities, you're rolling a die. You're rolling a d6. And the average difficulty level of a challenge in this game is four. So if you don't spend any points, you've got about a 50-50 shot to succeed. But each of you has pools for each of your general abilities. You have a certain amount of points. You can spend those points over the course of the scenario to add to particular D6 rolls. And so all of you have a composure pool. And so before you roll, I want you to tell me if you are spending any points and how many points you're spending on this roll. A failure of one, and you don't get to know what the, what the difficulty of this particular check is, but the average is four. A failure of one would give you a minor shock card. A failure by more than one would give you a major shot card. So I'm going to go around the horn, let me know how many points, if any, you're spending, and then we will roll. Emily, let's start with you. Is Frances spending any points here?
2: I feel like I enjoy, in the past with these checks, if I think that Frances had any warning, she's better able to steal herself. But I think when it comes out of the blue, she's not that
0: prepared.
2: I think I'm gonna spend just one.
0: Okay, so um, we're we're gonna call. It, I'm also going to institute um, in our ongoing campaign here of the Yellow King of uh, Castilda song by, uh, for the Yellow King RPG. The what I'm calling the Mikey Krennic rule, um, <laughs> which which comes from um, a comment that he made. I don't remember whether it was on air or off air on uh, season five. That if you're spending points. You need to you need to explain how why you're getting a bonus on this role, and so it could be something about your personality, it could be something about the, the 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 situation. So, what do you mm. think this one point for you represents, Francis?
2: I think so. Francis historically is is our spooky gothic kid, mm-hmm. um, and I think that like she, even if it has all become a little more fraught now that all of these books that she read seem to be turning into reality. Um, I think she does have a little bit of a sense of, like, the scary things don't necessarily throw me right away.
0: Yep, yep.
2: And, like, just a touch, right? Just a little touch. Just, like, yep. a little one. All right, um, so go ahead and roll, go ahead and roll that got.
0: for me and add one to your die roll. All right, cheesy crazy.
2: Ooh, okay, that's a five on the die, so six total.
0: Six total, okay. Um, Chris, uh, what about for Percy. Yeah, I I think Percy's
3: going to, I think I'll spend one. And I think it's because, I think Percy has always had this sense of foreboding about his life um, and his death, honestly. And so I think this kind of thing is not super shocking to him. You know, it's a surprise, Mm -hmm. but it's not completely out of question.
0: Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Um, All right, go ahead and roll.
3: All right, so I rolled a five as well. So it's a six.
0: All right, so six. Okay. Um, Lily, what about for Genevieve?
1: Genevieve is also gonna. I'm gonna spend one. Genevieve has a sense that uh, she generally just always knows everything, mm-hmm. and so it takes a lot to surprise her. Or at least she acts that way. Even if she is surprised, she does it like she doesn't get shaken because yep. she always is convinced that she she knew it was gonna. She's not that surprising anyway. So like she kind of saw this coming. So she's one.
0: Love it. All right, go ahead and roll.
1: Three, so four.
0: Okay. Um, and then what about Rose, uh, Lindsay?
4: Um, so for Rose, Rose is like living kind of half in and half out of this world uh-huh. right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I I am actually, I'm going to say that I would spend one on this, if okay. only because I think that she, I think that everything that has happened to her in the past year has given her this feeling of like something bad is coming like something mm-hmm. bad, it, it, like is going to happen to her more than what happened to her. Like there is an unexplained. So like something awful being seen is like it's actually like another piece to this puzzle that's falling into place. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Okay. Go ahead. I'll
4: roll. Okay. Okay, I got four. So plus one is five.
0: All right. So none of you take a shot card. You Woo-hoo! are all able to stave Woo-hoo! off any uh, any ill effects of. Both the sight of this severed arm and also <laughs> just <bad> the, <laughs> the momentary, the momentary glimpse into something much stranger um, that relates directly to each of you. What do you do?
1: Uh, I think Genevieve is going to talk to the, the woman who screamed and say, okay, Madame, do you know what this is? God, No, I, I just, we, we were, we were sitting here. We were walking down
0: the shore and then, and then I saw it and, and, and I screamed. Did the children
1: do this? Uh, absolutely not it, they're
0: they're two and three years old of course not
1: can you get them away from there um
0: uh, um maybe and she kind of like gingerly walks forward and says come come here boys come, come here and they they like are able to kind of turn and like run to her kind of run into her arms and both kind of wrap themselves around her legs
1: okay then Genevieve is gonna walk to the edge of the bank and see if there's anything else to see around the arm
0: yeah, it just looks like the arm is floating there and kind of bobbing up against the the bank.
1: And there's nothing like to notice about the arm, like if there's anything wrong with it besides the fact that it was like cut off.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it doesn't it, it doesn't look like diseased or anything like that. It looks like a, you know, reasonably fresh arm. <laughs> um and <laughs> your run of the mill
4: arm. That's what so, I was like... wondering. How fresh <laughs> yeah. is it?
0: <laughs> to like to actually like study it you'd have to like probably get it out of the water. Hmm. You think you probably would be able to tell some things you with your kind of med school background mm-hmm. would probably be able to tell some things but you'd have to get it out of the arm, out of the water to actually look at it.
1: All right, I'm going to turn around and say, can someone get that arm out of the water? <laughs> um Francis I think is going to be quickly starting to look
2: around for one of two things, either a cop or um a big stick.
0: <laughs> sure. As you look around, you see that it does seem like kind of a crowd is starting to form around the area. Um, people are kind of looking uneasy, but also intrigued. Monet and Cicely have also both walked over um, to kind of see mm. what's happening. No police officers, uh, no, ge- no gendarme that you mm. notice. Um, but there's certainly a big stick that you could uh, use to fish it out.
2: Um, I think she's going to heft it up, and I think she's going to go, All right, all right, ladies, gentlemen, mesdames, messieurs, back away, back away. And is going to kind of have her big stick out in front of her, trying to keep the, the people back. And is going to see if she can walk a little closer up and like scoop it, scoop it out of that water.
0: Sure. It takes a little effort, um, <laughs> but you you are able to pull the arm out of the water.
2: And I think, like, as soon as she's doing this, she's like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why why am I scooping a severed arm out? This was not how this day was supposed to go. Uh-huh, i was supposed yep. to have friends and croissants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, she'll get it, like, up on the,
1: on the bank, so at least it's not going to float away. Mm-hmm. As soon as it's on the bank, Genevieve is going to approach it and do a closer investigation, see if there's anything else she can notice.
0: Sure. So, with your natural history ability, you notice a couple of things. You would say that the amputation probably occurred a few hours ago at most. Uh, the army is actually uh, fresh, uh, like reasonably so. Um, it has not. It has not. Um, you know, there, there's. It hasn't been away from a blood supply for too, too long. The wound is kind of curious. Um, it's not a clean cut as with a knife. It's more like ragged damage that you'd expect from a series of powerful bites. The bite was... You would estimate that the jaw was about four or five inches in length. It's like the size of a large ape or a medium-sized shark. But judging from the size and spacing of the bite marks, the creature's teeth would be more like those of a piranha, Um, which doesn't make any sense to you. And of course, neither piranhas nor aquatic predatory apes um, are often found in the Seine. Um, Or anywhere? uh, Or anywhere. Um, But... uh, there are, And there are occasionally sharks in the sand, but only very occasionally, and that wouldn't make any sense for this to have to... Uh, the teeth would not be correct um, for a shark anyway.
1: Genevieve will be happy to share her knowledge, so, but also not very eager to admit that this is something that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. This arm was bitten off. It wasn't cut. And the animal or creature that bit the arm cannot be anything that would be in the sin.
0: She wouldn't say it's a. It must be a large aquatic ape.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she would not.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, w- taking bets right now is the is the is the thing that did this a large aquatic ape. Yes, all, in. A, all in, all in for the aquatic ape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just,
4: New species just dropped. <laughs> I it. The Parisian yeah.
2: aquatic ape. Yep.
0: Yeah, a carcosan aquatic ape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I
3: think Percy, as as he's watching his sister do this, he's trying to sort of ingratiate himself a little bit further. And I think first he, he notices that Monet and Cicely are here and he tries to crack a joke and he's like, Oh, Genevieve, my sister, do, do you need a hand? And then, <laughs> but then he, he like looks over at Rose and kind of feels bad a little bit. He's like, Wait, that was inappropriate. <laughs> No. Oh. Um, but he does. he's not going to betray that on his face. He's just going to try to be like, you know, the merrymaking whatever. Um, but I think he's also quite troubled by this.
0: And Percy, I think you when you look over at Monet and Cicely, you see that they have a theirs is less a, a kind of intrigued look on their face. And it's more the kind of more of the same of that look that you noticed from them before. Like they like something it's it's whatever this is is connecting for them to whatever it is that they saw
4: I what think what did you want to say Lindsay oh i so oh sorry. I was just gonna say um so I think Rose misses Percy's very tongue in cheek uh <laughs> joke because I think so for her just to go back a little bit like the moment she sees that vision of the arm and it flashes back to the real arm um you know I think she very quickly like she shuts her eyes very hard and she and she presses her good hand to her forehead and she just goes no 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 and like very gently under her breath because i think that just from what she has experienced there is such a weird divide between like what feels like reality and what feels not real to her Mm -hmm. um that you know she's kind of having this moment and it's also this sinking feeling of like this is happening again like there is something happening again um and once she's able to like kind of take a deep breath and like move through that feeling i think she you know moves up alongside um francis and genevieve as as genevieve genevieve is inspecting the arm and she's sort of resisting the urge to be like don't touch that like you know just throw it back into the water you know like i don't this is not something that we want to deal with um and so she's just kind of observing like along the way um but i also think that she does step into a moment and kind of like looks back at the crowd and just like says out sharply, like, you know, someone reached the gendarme. Like, you know, bring someone here. Like, let's not all just be spectators. Someone needs to come and take a look at this.
0: Sure. So a couple of people run off to go to go fetch a gendarme um, when you mm-hmm. say that.
2: I I think that when Genevieve said bite and like a big thing, I think, especially with what she saw, Francis is is picturing that ding dang gargoyle creature. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing that she can't shake off because she, you know, she saw the arm go that way and she was just like, nope, that's just a weird, that's my imagination thinking about bad arm things I've experienced. Mm-hmm. But when I think she hears that little bit more, that's when she's like, oh, mm mm, mm mm. Mm-hmm. And I think she is gonna like, she's still got her big stick. And I think she's gonna like kind of raise it up a little bit. And she is aware that because this was supposed to be a picnic with nice people who weren't (laughs) supposed to have anything to do with what's happened, she didn't bring her satchel with her. Like she doesn't have her knife. She doesn't have her big walking stick. And now she feels extremely unprotected and very stupid for not thinking to bring those things. But yeah, I think for the moment, she's just going to stand there and try to resign herself to the fact that more could be coming.
0: So I think after a few minutes, people kind of, you know, it's clear that you're all kind of like waiting around for the police to come. People kind of start to filter away. But Monet and Cicely stay, though they're not coming up to engage you in conversation. They're both just kind of like, they're not the only two, but they're both just kind of standing there, like observing
1: think Genevieve is going to ask Monet and Cicely if they know anything about this because it seems like they had some sort of reaction to it
0: and they both seem they, they both just kind of start to stutter a little bit and they seem hesitant and I think Rose and Francis both of you think about what it would be like if someone else was there Francis I think you you picture Monty in your head you picture him walking over reaching out, shaking their hand, grabbing, grabbing their forearm with the other hand and kind of reassuring them that like, it's okay to tell us, we'll, we will protect this information. We won't, you know, we won't think you're crazy. Mm. And Rose, I think you, you picture Manu doing a similar thing in her own way, kind of walking over and calming their nerves enough to get them to speak. So in game terms, um, (laughs) No one in this group has the reassurance <gasps> ability, but both but both Monty and Manu do. And so in, in instances like this, either of you can kind of channel hmm. your relationship with this other person into kind of summoning up the ability to reassure um, Monet and Cicely that it will be okay to share what they know. I love it. Yeah. Which of you would like to do that? Who who do you feel like can wants to channel the their their friend?
2: I'm just picturing myself trying to do Montgomery. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not what the moment would call for. <laughs> yeah.
4: I you know, I think that I think that for Rose, like because Manu is like her favorite person, mm-hmm. and yeah. she's she's seen her enough. That she can try and, like, from the dregs of, like... Which is complete opposite of her personality. But, like, from just, you know, like... She is trying to channel, like, okay, how does Manu reach me? And Mm -hmm. so she thinks, okay. And so I think she'll, you know, she'll return from the shore over to them and say, um... What a fright this has been. And then she's going to pause and, like, look out over the water and then back to them. And then in a very, like... This is maybe a bit of a turning point moment for Rose, say... But this is not the only fright that I've experienced here in Paris. And there's something about, the there's a, there's a look in your eyes that, that tells me this might not be the first for you either. And then she just like lets that linger in the air for a moment.
0: And they both kind of look you directly in the eye and almost steal themselves. And they both nod and say, yes, we did see something. And that is where we're going to end our story for now.
2: Ooh. with our new best friend Claude Monet <laughs> <laughs> yes. who's doing just fine
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> how are you going to Photoshop us into some of his paintings <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it
2: this podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrine Press and is based on an adventure written by Robin D. Laws, both used under the Pelgrane Press Limited Community Use Policy, along with the music from The Yellow King Suite, written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at nomg podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or at NOMGpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit www.patreon.com slash NOMGpodcast.